Welcome back to 24 Faithful. Today we are doing a season overview of season number three. We spent the last four weeks going through a lot of the details in throughout the season, but we're just going to kind of do a wrap-up overview today. And so, as usual, we have Joel Wood with us, and we also have Bradley joining us in person. Coming to us from Alta Vista, Kansas. Come on, you, that's a company name. You can't possibly tell nope. me that's a legitimate place. Look it up. Popul- it's, population, <laughs> it's got a population of less than 500 people, and it is part of the Topeka, Kansas metropolitan area. Look it up. Wikipedia is your friend. There you go. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> Regardless of where Bradley is joining us from, probably not in Kansas. Anyway, we are talking Kansas about anymore. season three. <laughs> So just overall for it, I really love season three for for several reasons. But one of the reasons I really like it is because we kind of get the formation now of like this. When I picture 24 as a whole, I picture this core team and that's Jack, Tony, Michelle, and Chloe. And so even though all four of them only work together for a short time, to me, it just kind of embodies a lot of 24 and things like that and so so anyway so that's one of the reasons i like season three because that's where we get all of that put together this has been really helpful for me actually this this podcast that we're doing because when i when we started this i said that sort of 3b was on the lower sorry 3a was on the lower end of my spectrum 3b was one of the best half seasons and i'm counting it as a whole season that they did and re-watching it i find that i was very harsh on 3a because it's actually a lot of fun. It's sort of that slow burn season two style mixed with that sort of moment centric, oh my God stuff that they do in seasons four, five and onwards. And it's, it's actually really, really good. I mean, part of, I think part of the reason that I like 3B a lot more than 3A and remember it a lot more is that there's a lot less going on in 3B that there's a, they actually really hyper-focus it on just stopping Saunders, the stuff at the hotel and sort of the occasional bit of Palmer stuff. That's it. Whereas in the first half, there's loads of stuff going on in Mexico, at CTU, you know, Kim and Chase, Tony and Michelle, Jack and the terror and addiction, Salazar out of prison, all, all the, you know, all the stuff with Anne Packard. There's so much happening. By the time we get towards the end, it's just hyper laser focused on this is what's important. And I think they actually do. They do nail it. Watching season three back, it's weird watching season three back, you know, in 2020, because it, when you listen to it and the, the terminology they use and the little nasal swabs that they do to test everybody, it just reminds me so much of what we're going through in 2020. That it's just, it's just kind of, it's kind of eerie in a way, but for the most part, I thought season three was better than I had originally thought. I did not like Chloe at first. When they first introduced her, I just thought she was annoying. I did not like her at first. And then toward the middle of the season, um, she was still annoying, but she was starting to be more of a uh, likable kind of annoying. And season three, if I'm not mistaken, and Bradley, I know you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that season three was the last season where Jack Bauer was actually a working member of CTU. Is that correct, Bradley? Yeah, that would be. 
So, I mean, obviously he came back and helped in subsequent seasons, but season three was historic because it was, I mean, really, if you think about it, out of all, what, nine seasons, Jack Bauer only really worked for CTU for two of them. Because <laughs> he didn't work for CTU in season two. They brought him in. Um, obviously, he did in season one and season three. But when you get really right down to it and think about it, he really was only a an employee at CTU for two seasons. When I started to think about it, I started to look up various seasons and the synopsis and everything like that. It kind of amazed me that you know, he'd only worked for CTU for two seasons, and the, the two common threads in a majority of 24 is CTU and Jack Bauer. That is interesting, definitely. And you mentioned Chloe, and I know we had it in our notes later on, but since you mentioned it, for me, I, I agree. I mean, Chloe, in this season, if I was going to look at just season three, I didn't really like Chloe too much, but looking at her whole whole span she is one of my favorite characters and looking back over season three now I like her in season three because of what I know she becomes and so I think a lot of people probably had that same thing kind of like with Tony like when we were seeing Tony in season one it's like eh, okay there's Tony but we grew to really like him and so I think Chloe's the same way the Tony transformation does sort of happen in season one though Chloe doesn't in season three she gets slightly more tolerable by the end but she's still got that same sort of quirky personality still that same no filter say what she thinks doesn't really have a grasp on what she's gonna make the other person feel by what she's saying i think like if if you showed 24 to someone who hadn't watched it before and you got to the end of season three and said chloe would be a mainstay of the next five seasons i think they might reconsider whether they want to watch on because she's just so like, like you say, knowing what she becomes, and, and sort of I started rewatching season four ahead of when we start that next week, and instantly you can see that she's so much better. But here, it's just, she's so annoying. And, you know, she's got some great character traits. The fact that she, they, they really established quite early on, and with Nina's computer worm, that she's really good at her job. That's great. And I do like, I know we sort of talked around a little bit, but I do really like the fact that she is a very good friend to Chase. She looks after Angela. The storyline's not amazing at the time but it does reflect better on her character but it's all the interactions with adam with kim with jack with chase whoever it is you know ryan tony often comment on the fact that they are getting tired of her personality and it's hard not to because she is very very tiring mm-hmm. yeah she's very um like i said when the season first started she was very annoying to me and well she was annoying to me throughout the entirety of season three but she became more tolerable as the season grew on because I mean throughout her entire tenure on 24 she was always uh pretty much an introvert um she didn't like confrontation she doesn't have a filter between her brain and her mouth she has very few friendships but that's just that's just her character she doesn't know how to socialize (laughs) she doesn't know how to mingle and make friends and and things like that i mean that's why i got kind of a chuckle when she was lying to kim in in the middle of the season about the baby talking about it was her boyfriend's i was like there's nobody that would put up with you for more than five minutes (laughs) so it's a little quirky things like that but it's just like without that job there's no telling what 
she would do because she really doesn't have the personality to do much else. She'd already been married mm-hmm. to Morris at this point, remember? I forgot about yeah. Morris. That's true. And of course, we don't know anything about Morris until much later. But so another thing with Chloe, and you guys mentioned it there, is it shows her immense loyalty. Because I mean, the fact that she took in and hid a baby at work and lied about whose baby it was. I mean, even to where she said it was hers, that her boyfriend's and, and whatever, she kept changing the story. But she was so loyal to Chase that she was even willing to do that. And, and as we go forward into other seasons, we see that that is a characteristic that continues throughout is that she is like super loyal, especially when there's something that she believes in or someone that she believes in or she thinks is right. And so she sticks with them even when there's like personal loss and, and all that. And so she'll, she'll stick with it. I think, I think it is easier to see the better traits that she has in season three from our perspective of knowing the series inside out and having seen it so many times, but certainly having seen it onwards at least once, as opposed to jumping in first time and seeing this and thinking, mm, is she the kind of character I want to watch? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I guess since we're talking about some characters here, there's some other characters here that, that came in season three and Chase. We've talked about Chase a lot. And I think it's, I think we've mentioned this too, where it's kind of sad that they didn't continue with Chase into future seasons because he is a really good character. But you have a note here that since he's so similar to Jack that it would almost seem like a duo and it would take the spotlight away from Jack, which which I guess if they were to ever make a transition, like like they, they try to do the transition with 24 Legacy, making it about somebody else, making somebody else the star. If they were to do that, they would have to do it like they did in season three to where they introduce this character that works with Jack and is very much Jack-like and then have him slowly take the place. And that would be the only way to be able to work. But, but anyway, I think they could have still brought Chase in and like just for special moments or whatever, like they're on a mission or something like that and chases this, this secret back pocket connection that Jack has. And so they do that many times. They have like, oh, Jack, I have this connection with so-and-so and they, they give them information or weapons or something like that. They could use Chase for something like that to come in. He's there for an episode or a couple episodes, be able to show that he's still there, he's still got the stuff, whatever, something like that. Well, you're missing the one key factor in the the Jack and Chase differences is that he doesn't want to be detached from his family and the people that he loves. And I think actually after Jack cut off his hand, I think he did end up quitting CTU overall. I know he obviously he was going to uh, transfer to the floor and work a desk job and not be in danger. I think after losing his hand, he did actually give up CTU entirely. Um... Yeah, no, I think you're right. They tried to do it with Kate Morgan as well, didn't they, in Live Another Day? And that worked as a half season, but I don't think you could maintain the two of them together. Similarly, I don't think you could have maintained Jack and Chase together. You know, we launch into season four and everything is completely different, as we'll come to talk about next week. The only characters that survive over, or at least at the start, are Jack and Chloe. Everything else seems like a total reset and to keep Chase around, given that he is basically just like Jack, just slightly different, I don't think it would work. I think, like I say, maybe bring him back for one-offs. Uh, you know, they bring back Tony in season four. Cameo roles, like sort of like that, might have worked. 
But overall, I think it's hard to keep him in. He's a great character in season three. I really like him, but it's really hard to balance him and Jack together, I think, because you, you'll find that their storylines are so similar. So either you spend the whole season with them sort of paired up and then you've got to bounce them back and forth from each other. It kind of goes against Jack's going rogue thing, or you've got to find a way to cause division between them every time. It's difficult to maintain, I think. I think they could have done it. They would have took a little uh, creative writing, which, you know, was at times was a little bit trying for the writers of 24. But Chase did uh, quit CTU. You know, spoiler, I started watching season four the other days, and I believe uh, Jack said he was working at a uh, private security firm in Valencia. So I guess maybe he only needs one hand for that. <laughs> but he was he was one of my favorite one-off characters and he's somebody that I'm surprised then again I'm not surprised because when you think about it when when 24 gets rid of characters with the exception of Nina when 24 gets rid of characters they very rarely bring them back for like special appearances once you know characters I know David appeared in one episode of season five or whatever, but once they get rid of the characters, take them off the cast list, they very rarely bring them back for special appearances. So in that respect, I guess I'm not surprised that they didn't bring Chase back, but at the same time, I kind of wish they did because there were some moments, especially in uh, season seven, you know, after CTU's already disbanded or and it's... Jack, Bill, and Chloe, and, you know, the turncoat Tony against everybody else. You know, I thought that they uh, probably could have used Jace's particular set of skills. But there's various points where I thought they could have, you know, put him in there for a couple of episodes here and there to just kind of let everybody know that, hey, he's still here. Even in, even in Live Another Day, even though they were kind of far, 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 far away from Los Angeles. But just various points, I thought they could have put him in there, but they chose not to. Um, it's kind of one of the, I would have tuned in to, I would have bought into um, Legacy if Chase had been in <laughs> the lead role. I would have bought into it, but he wasn't. And, and I'm still confused about it to this day. Maybe he could have been working private security for Starkwood. Him and Tony could have been going against Jack in season seven. Hmm. <sighs> what a way to be a buzzkill. <laughs> 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 that would be an interesting dynamic, though. <laughs> season seven B is still on the short list of my worst seasons ever. <laughs> we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Jack could pull the trigger on Chase for real this time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, an, yeah. Another character that we have a note on here is for uh, Adam and uh, Zachary Quinto is the one that plays him. He has obviously he's done a number of roles, but I saw him in Heroes where he played the serial killer Siler. And sometimes, yeah, <laughs> Joel's <laughs> doing the Spock sign. To, uh, uh, so because he he did that in Star Trek also, but uh, but but yeah. So so in this when I when I'm rewatching it, uh, the first time I watched this season of 24, I hadn't seen Heroes, but then I watched Heroes and rewatching this, I seeing siler so this serial killer that has these special abilities and it's like man you don't want to get on his bad side <laughs> so anyway so it was just an interesting 
thing that works for me. I, I, I do that a lot, though. When I see an actor that plays something different, I have a hard time not seeing what I used to seeing them in. I'm pretty much the same way. It's like when we have these podcasts and I point out all the various NCIS actors that I've seen in the first couple of seasons. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to watch season three and watch um, Wayne Palmer and Julia and not think of them in the in suits also in a relationship. But Zachary always seems to play a weird guy. Like, I don't know if that's just he's typecast or if he's a weird guy in real life. But he always got look, doesn't he? He always he always seems even Spock. I mean, he always seems to play this weird, this weird, introverted character. Socially awkward. <laughs> yeah, he, he he looks socially awkward. Like he looks like that's how he acts in real life. And I don't know if that's he's just been typecast in that role. But every role that I've seen him in, he's always played this kind of weird, introverted character. For someone who's in 23 episodes, he doesn't really have an impact on this season. He sort of exists. You, you have that scene in the first episode where he challenges Kim and you kind of think he's going to be another Carrie Turner and you sort of hold your breath and hope to God that he's not. And, you know, he's not. Kim does him completely round the bend and, and fools him and he, he accepts that and accepts that Kim's quite good and gets along with everyone. You know, there's the odd falling out with with chloe we talked about chloe so that's not really his fault there's that little bit where his sister's dying in the hotel or has been infected in one of the quarantine zones and he has that nice moment with her and we have that little thing similar to with tony and his competency this time at least he did actually make the mistake but other than that he's just he's there he's the technical support he doesn't actually have too much to write home about you know you look at chloe you look at edgar when we come to it these are, these are memorable characters. These have impact on the seasons, on the characters that we see around them. Adam doesn't really. He just, he's there. And then he's gone at the end of season three. And I don't feel like 24 necessarily would have been terrible without him. And it certainly doesn't miss him when it goes into season four. Poor Adam. Never never got to say goodbye to his sister. Well, he, he did. I, I assume that he, he did end up calling her back after Chloe called him away. <laughs> yeah. And another thing that we've talked about is the fact that season three is like a depiction of like Jack's ultimate worst day. <laughs> That's always just everything that, that went on. It's just so many terrible things happen to Jack or around Jack. And, um, and of course, then it culminates in Jack's breakdown, as we mentioned last week, right there in his car is, is finally gets a moment to breathe. And it's like, it's like the events of the whole day just really sink in and, uh, and he just breaks down. And then he has to suck it up again and continue on to the next task that needs to be done. I really, I really love that final scene. On the expanded soundtrack, it's called Jack's Humanity. I mean, it, was, it might be the actual soundtrack, I can't remember. One of them. And it very much is. You know, We don't see jack having these emotional moments very often we saw at the end of season one with terry's death we saw it a little bit at the start of season two and when he's talking to kim in the plane we sit here we see it a few times when people die in future seasons but we don't see this sort of breakdown this this mass letting out of emotion that's been building and building and building it's all it's always reacting to something react to something's happened terry's death the fact that he's talking to kim for the last time tony's death whatever it may be it's always 
something's happened and that makes him have this emotional reaction. Whereas this is very much sort of a combination of, of tiredness and just being overwhelmed. You know, we have so many things in this season. He's addicted to heroin at the start of it. He almost dies in the prison playing Russian roulette. He's a fugitive. He has to shoot Chase. Gun's empty, but he's still going to pull the trigger on his partner and his daughter's boyfriend. You know, he's got the whole thing with Nina where he has to work with her and kiss her and then kills her. He's seen the Salazars die. He, he's almost been killed numerous times. He was almost killed at MI6 about three times in the space of a minute. He had to kill his boss. He was going to send an innocent girl not too dissimilar from his daughter into a hotel full of infected virus victims. He chops off his partner's hand. So many things, so many things that are just for the normal average person, even the normal average person in 24 would probably struggle at one of these. And Jack's gone through all of these in 24 hours. It's insane. And I do really love this final scene just for the fact that we do get to see this has an impact on him. He's not a robot. He's not the Terminator. He's not, you know, we, we look at him and think, oh, he's like the Terminator. He goes around, he kills people, he gets the job done. That's it. And he does. But that's not it. That's not all of him. He has a personality, he has humanity, and this stuff affects him. He's just very good at burying it while he has to, and while he has to get the job done. And the job is done, and he can let it out briefly. And then he's got to go back to work, and that's who Jack is. I don't know what, uh, I don't know what you're talking about, this humanity stuff. But when you think about it, I mean, other than possibly season seven and Live Another Day, other than those two seasons, I can't imagine a season that was worse for the character than season three. You think about it from where they started in season three. He was a regular member of CTU, but from the start of season three, you could tell that something was off. I mean, even they made little hints about it where, you know, Chase asked, are you okay? And Jack says, I'm fine. I just want to get this done. And Chase says, that's not what I'm talking about. They kind of made little references to it without directly bringing it out until later on. So you think about how long before season three that he spent undercover with Salazars, getting in with the Salazars, becoming addicted to heroin, having to, and let's not underscore, even though that, you know, him killing Nina was coming. Everybody knew it was coming. But you got to think that sense of relief, these circumstances, because when he killed Nina, all those memories of Terry being killed and Nina almost killing his daughter. All those memories come back to him after he kills. I mean, I'm pretty sure it made him feel better, but in that moment he had to feel like a sense of relief and that in itself had to be traumatizing. And then you figure he's got how many more hours left. So I think even before he chopped off Chase's hand, which was probably in the top five of the most cringing moments that I've had watching 24. Not in a bad way, but just in a, I don't really want to watch this kind of way. That was just, and you could see it in Jack's face when he went to go get the ads. He had this look of, you got to be kidding. You know what? Why not? <laughs> and then he just went over and got the ads because it was just the, and then to get the virus into, which by the way, I would completely apologize because he just ruined all of the associates' food. I mean, <laughs> he did save their life, though. So, you know, a missed lunch, I reckon, is probably OK. Yeah, but he, he should there should be some some compensation there. OK, you should at least pay for their lunch. OK, now we're sure, what are they going to eat? I'm sure now? CTU uh, like 
bought some Domino's pizza or something to come in. Well, I sure hope so. So that that was just and to think about it, three months later he's fired. So it's like compounded to the worst day that he suffered that he had to the worst three months that he had because you know three months later he doesn't have a job anymore after all he did that day to save everybody from the virus. Now, granted, he was addicted to heroin, but all he did that day to protect them from that virus, and three months later, Driscoll fires him. Yeah, and actually thinking the about thing. that, there is a, there's a video that you can look up on YouTube that's the season four prequel, and that's what Joel's referring to. If you haven't seen that, it is pretty interesting. So it, it shows that interaction between Jack and Aaron when she lets him go, and then it goes through and sets up things for season four. <laughs> It has one of my favorite lines of the entire series, which because we have some young listeners that probably listen to this, I'm not going to repeat it, but it was basically the gist of uh, Aaron says, you know, I can put in some calls and, and find you a job. And Jack looks at her and says, you know, I can find my own effing job, Aaron. And then just walks out the door. <laughs> one of my favorite lines of the entire series. The other thing that Jack seen at the end of season three does is sort of gives the viewer an excuse to feel the same way because we've been living all this stuff with jack too but we've seen the stuff that's happening away from jack as well we've seen the horrors of the Chandler plaza gael's death which as i think i said was one of the most brutal things that 24 ever did we've had ted packard's suicide and all the emotional fallout that came from that we've had the stuff to alan millican we've had sherry and julia and the fallout from that the ugliness of Tony and Michelle at times this season. There's been a lot happening that's been, I don't want to say traumatizing, but fairly impactful for the viewer as well. And I think actually this final scene, Jack breaking down, does give the viewer an excuse to stop, breathe, appreciate how awful this day has been for Jack, Chase, Tony, Michelle, David Palmer, Wayne Palmer, everyone who is involved in this season and themselves included, and then finish the season, breathe, okay. Now we can go on to season four in a few months' time, back in 2004 when this was airing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the other big things in this season is surrounding the presidency, David Palmer's presidency. And so we, we look if we look at the arc, we see in season one kind of the, the establishment and the rise of David Palmer, if you will, as and, and it like really sets him at, in his character and, and who he is, what he stands for, things like that. Season two, we see him as he's a year or so into his presidency and he's really establishing it. And all of his moral convictions are being put to the test and he holds true to them. He has this rock solid presidency and where he stands and things like that. And then we come to season three and... I don't think they're tested nearly as as much as they were tested in season two. I could be wrong on that, but but it seems like the challenges that came across David Palmer in this season were not as bad as season two, but he starts to compromise. And it's like several or multiple compromises that he makes in this that just makes a total spiral down and ends his presidency as a result of it. It's sad. I think... They are. I think the, so the stakes and everything is as bad in this season, but not when he throws in the towel on his morality. Because when he does that is when Keeler and the debate and Ted Packer's accusations and paying him off, that's where he briefly abandons his morality. 
and decides to give into the blackmail. He's not going to trust in the, the American public to believe him. You know, he believes Anne, but he's actually going to go, no, this is the easy way out here is to just pay off Ted Packard, listen to Wayne, get this swept under the rug, and we're done. And Keeler's not going to be a problem. That's when he gives up on his morality. When we see in season two how he detains the journalist and how he interrogates Roger Stanton and he tortures Roger Stanton for information. Yes, this is compromising on his morality, but he is very much pushed to the limit at this stage. There's a nuclear bomb around, needs to find it imminently understandable. I get that. When it's Ted Packard making accusations, okay, it's going to affect him in the debate for his re-election. That's where it feels like he has jumped into moral grey territory far too soon. And then he has, when it's Saunders' demands, that's fine, I think. But even before that, with Sherry, instantly bringing in Sherry and sort of knowing the types of stuff that she'll do, I think it kind of works in the sense that Alan Milliken has pushed him into taking some sort of action. He's trying to manipulate him into firing Wayne. And he puts it right that they're in a street fight. Alan's dragged him down to this. So fair enough, responding in kind. Sherry ends up killing him. It kind of ends. It, it doesn't look good for David. You have to say it's understandable. I think just about when he brings in Sherry, and it very quickly derails. In season one, you kind of see how David Palmer refuses to do anything to compromise his morality, even as far as you know coming out with his sons killing someone. He won't do anything to compromise his morality. But I think if there's one lesson that season two and especially season three could teach us is that the presidency changes people. Not necessarily the presidency itself, just the stresses and the requirements of the job around him kind of compounded and came down on him. Not saying he wasn't equipped to deal with it, but it's a lot for any man to really have to deal with, especially in in season two when you have somebody working directly under you who is aiding and abetting terrorists to release a nuclear bomb. So it's kind of, he could hand Roger over to the FBI and have them interrogate him and, you know, he'll be there for hours and not really get anything out of him. So, or he could take matters into his own hands and try to find out the information. So I kind of understood Season two, season three with Alan Milliken, and it really starts to unravel for him when we find out that Wayne had an affair with Alan's wife. That's really when it starts to unravel for him, and it's pretty much all downhill from there. There's a couple of points in there where you think that, okay, he's going to come out the other side, or they're going to find a way to get rid of this. There's a couple of those moments in there, but for the most part, from the time that we find out that Wayne had an affair with Julie, or Julia, whatever her name is. From the time that we find out he had a, an affair with Alan Milliken's wife to the last episode, it was pretty much all downhill from there. And you could see it in his face when Wayne told him that Sherry was dead. Like, as, as much as they had gone through, like, just a couple of hours before that, Sherry was willing to send him to prison in order to make sure that Keeler won the presidency. So all the, all she did to make sure that he won the presidency, she was willing to throw all of that away to have him lose his presidency. 
And that was just a couple of hours before that. But when you think about it, she's still the mother of his children. And now he has to tell his son and his daughter, your mother's dead. <laughs> so it's, it's, you feel for him in that moment, even if you don't like Sherry, which I don't. But even if you don't like Sherry, you can feel for David in that moment because the realization on his face that, you know, the mother of my, even if, even if I went to prison, my children would still have a mother. Now they don't. So I think that is what kind of tipped the scales a little bit to where he was like, you know, this, this job has, you know, cost me my marriage. It's cost me the, the mother of my children. People have died. I think I just want to be a private citizen now. I think I just want to, I want to be a dad. I want to be a father. I want to be, you know, just a private citizen. I want to be, you know, even though I still have 45 secret service agents around my house, I just want to be a private citizen. And you kind of, you kind of feel for him in that moment, even if you don't like Sherry, which I didn't like Terry, but I still felt for Jack in that moment when she was, when she was killed because of the hurt that Jack suffered in that moment. Mm -hmm. I think on the morality is that when you look at the stuff he did in season one and season two, season one, he came clean about uh, Keith's murder and, and all the stuff with that. And that wasn't going to benefit him. That was going to hinder him. That was going to, what was it? Mike called him textbook unelectable. And he came out because he knew that telling the truth was better for the country. It was better for the American people to know the truth about who they were voting for and decide accordingly. And if it cost him the presidency, then oh well. But he wanted to be president, but this was the way to do it. And it worked for him. Season two, Roger Stanton, obviously the country benefits very much if a nuclear bomb is not detonated in Los Angeles. So again, from that perspective, understand what he's doing for the country. <laughs> Season three, everything he does, up and excluding Saunders' demands, we'll put them to one side for a moment. Everything he does with Ted Packard and Sherry and Alan Milliken and covering up Alan Milliken's murder, all of that is for his own benefit. It's for his own gain. It's for himself. It's to keep himself in the presidency. It's to keep himself out of prison as Sherry threatens him with. It's all of these things. Try and keep his healthcare bill. Again, he'd try and pitch this as, it's best for the country. I think it's best for the country that I remain president and not Keeler. I think it's best for the country that this healthcare bill get passed through. And, you know, we don't know what the details of it were, but that's going to benefit a lot of American people. It's obviously better for the American people if it's better for the country. It's better for the American people if I don't get sent to prison. He would pitch it as that. But it doesn't really work. It doesn't work in the same way that seasons one and two did because you can see through it very clearly. You can see through that he's taking the easy way out and he's doing it for himself. And that was never the case before season three. <laughs> and that's the one thing that does concern me about David in season three is that he shifts instantly into self-preservation and everything that he does that's morality compromised is for his own gain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned about the presidency changing someone because of all the pressures and all that. And we see this in future seasons as well. As we, if we were to flash forward, I have conflicting ideas about Logan as he takes over in season, at the end of season four, spoiler, um, if you weren't ready for that. And then obviously <laughs> not good season five and forward. Uh, but then also we see it in, as, as we get to season seven, where Noah uh, lost his last name, but where he is stepping out of the presidency no, Daniels is the person you're looking for. Yeah, Noah Daniels, but then With the, Allison Taylor. 
Allison Taylor. Yeah. So as, as president Taylor is coming in and they're kind of having this meeting of, okay, we're like passing the baton and he's telling her the different new scenarios that are coming up. And Allison says, well, why don't we just do this? And he's like, Oh yeah, it's, it's not really that simple. And <laughs> he's like, I had that same thought when I took the office and it, the, the last several years have, have changed my perspective on, on this and this and this. And so you have that as we look at that season as well. And so I think that that's probably very true that, you don't realize the immense pressures and things like that. And obviously some people can withstand and, and hold against those type of pressures and things like that. But, but yeah, there's definitely a lot there. And we see that going through each of the seasons as we look at the presidency, because we mentioned that Jack and CTU are like the, the mainstays of, of the seasons, but there is also the whole lingering thing of what's going on with the presidency throughout all of that too. It's interesting to be able to see all the different administrations, how the different presidents respond and act. The one thing I would say about Saunders' demands and, and David's reaction to them, I find it a very odd line to draw in the sand that he kills Chappelle but won't release the list of spies. I kind of get it, but I also feel like if you get to draw a line and say no to Stephen Saunders, probably do it before you kill one of your own agents, maybe. It feels like an odd spot to do it. I know it worked for the plot and everything like that, but it just feels really strange when you watch... I can't remember what that happens at the end of the episode after they kill Chappelle or the one after, but it's really strange when he sort of says to the cabinet, I'm not going to give in to this anymore, having sanctioned the death of one of their district directors. It's slightly bizarre. Mm-hmm. It's weird in a way... Because, I mean, you see when he's on his conference call, he mentions to the other cabinet members that uh, Saunders asked him to terminate one of their own agents. And, and they're like, well, what did he say when you didn't comply? <laughs> and, and Wayne and David are looking at each other like, well, about that. <laughs> I kind of did comply. That, to me, is what took it to a level where I didn't think David could come back from. Like, he could claim, you know, plausible deniability on pretty much everything else that happened that day, except sanctioning the death of Ryan Chappelle. And I thought that once that happened, I thought that there was pretty much no way that he was going to be able to come back from that, you know, as far as his presidency goes. I mean, realistically speaking, you know, once that comes out, there's no way anybody's going to vote to reelect you. <laughs> I mean, let's Let's just be honest here. And it's going to come out. You know, it was, it was going to come out because it was, you know, it wasn't secretive. He told all his cabinet members, you know, it was bound to come out. Um, so at that point, you know, even if I had never watched season three before, <laughs> once I would have saw that, I would have been like, yeah, there's pretty much no way his presidency can survive this. I mean, five people die as a result of something to do with the Palmer administration season three. Ted Packard, not direct, but it's associated, sort of associated with. Alan Milliken, very much direct, having brought in Sherry. Ryan Chappelle, the most direct, because David ordered it. And then Julia and Sherry, and then the murder-suicide, as a result of David's earlier actions bringing Sherry Palmer in. It's insane. It's crazy. And stepping down, I think we do see, in that final conversation with Jack, that it's the right thing. Jack does sort of criticise it and say... I'm not sure this is the right idea. You're making a mistake. But 
what else can he do? He can't stay in presidency. This day has been too much for him, and the decisions that he's made have caused so much horror in so many places of his life. It's too much. He's done what he wanted. He got to be president, and I think he realizes that at that point, at the end of season three, that actually he's now drifting into the territory of doing more harm than good, and that's never a good place to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that being said, I think he does come back in season four and start to redeem his character in many respects. But we'll get into that. And so next week, we'll be going into season number four, getting into the first couple episodes of that. And for you listening, if you have any feedback, you can feel free to leave us a voice message by calling 405-771-0567. Or you can go to 24faithful.com and leave us a message there as well. Or you can reach out to us on Twitter and uh, leave a comment there for us as well. That could be another way of being able to leave your thoughts on season four as we get into that. So with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you.